the scripture and get into the word. Now, I'm going to break some news to you. I have a word from the Lord to share with you today, and it's already 11.55. How many football lovers we have in the house? Let me see your hands. Honest hands. Let me see your hands. All right. Especially for the football lovers. If you can go sit and watch a football game for three and a half hours. Nobody thought that was funny. You can stay in the house of God long enough to hear the word. Amen. For those of you that don't like football, ladies, if you can go shopping till you wear yourself slick out and empty your bank account or max out your credit card, you can sit and listen to a word from the Lord. I do have a word that I want to share with you. I will try to move through it, but I do want to share some things with you today, and it may take me about 25 to 30 minutes to do it. So uh, I want to ask you, if you will, unless you absolutely have to go, don't, uh, don't just be going out unless you absolutely have to. In the book of 1 Peter, I read the passage of Scripture last week. I'll read it again this morning, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. The word said, But you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him that called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. This morning I want to preach to you the second and final part uh, in this sermon series, Who We Are. Uh, today, If you will, pray with me and for me. Father, thank you for the awesome service that we've already experienced. We can leave here right now saying that it's been good to be in the house of the Lord today. But Lord, I thank you for your word, and I believe you have a word for your people today. So I pray for the next few moments you'd remove the distractions that would hinder the service, and that, Lord, you would anoint the ears of every listener, the heart of every person to receive your word. Thank you, Lord, for these precious and beautiful people that you have placed in this place today, and those that are joining us online. God, I pray today that you would pour out your spirit in this place and that that we would leave this place, Lord, different than we came because we've been in your presence, but also because we've been changed by your word. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for what you're going to do in and through your word today in advance. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It is essential for every believer to understand and to know who they are in Christ. We talked about this last week. And the only person who determines who we are is us. And as I said last week, we are chosen, we are royal, we are holy, and we are peculiar. Those are four awesome labels that we take on as followers of the truth or as followers of Jesus Christ. And last week we talked very briefly about some different men in Scripture that felt unworthy for the Lord to use them. Among those men were Moses, uh, Jeremiah, and Isaiah. And then we talked in greater detail about two men who knew with confidence who they were with God on their side. Now first of all, David. These two men we talked about in great detail. David was a man that knew he, who he was with God on his side. And the Apostle Paul was a man that knew he, who he was with Christ inside of him. And we can be confident that the Lord is with us no matter what we may ever face in this life. Can I get a witness? 
And we can be confident, we can know that we have been given all authority over every tactic and evil device of the enemy. We are victorious over the devil. Now the enemy would lie a lot of times when the enemy can't get people uh, to just drift on off into sin or doing some type of major open sin, then what he'll do is, is he'll try to sliver his way in like a snake. That's why a snake is so easily depicted uh, as, as the enemy or the devil so many times. He'll slither his way in like a snake and through an attitude, are you with me this morning, through a situation, uh, he will catch you off guard and that's the way the enemy will fight against the people of God. We're going to continue this morning with what the Word of God has to say about the subject of who we are. We, we discovered what the Bible said about who these men were. But what does the Bible say about me? What does the Bible say about you and who you are? I want to ask you this morning, uh, have you ever felt like you were a failure in life? Have you ever experienced insecurity? I've never seen a time like the day and the hour in which we live in where insecurity is so rampant. People are insecure about their appearance, about their abilities, about their personality, about their life, the life they live. You know why? Because for one thing, comparison is the thief of joy. I said comparison is the thief of joy. And a lot of times people feel unloved. They feel worthless. And maybe you've even said the following words. Maybe you've said, I'm, I'm not attractive. Or I, I can't do these things that this person or that person can do. I'm not good enough. Or nothing good ever happens in my life. I'm a complete failure. Many people have said that. But if your mind is filled with thoughts of worthlessness and shame and embarrassment and low self-esteem, then it's time this morning that we get rid of that insecurity. Are you with me? Some people may ask, Pastor, how do I get rid of insecurities that have been there my entire life? If you have ever felt that way, you need to listen to this word this morning because the only way that we can get rid of those feelings is by realizing that you are God's most prized possession. You. If God had to choose the finest thing that he's ever created, God would choose you. You are somebody special to God. Those thoughts and those feelings that I talked about a minute ago, those, they surround the minds. They encompass and engulf the minds of millions, literally millions of people around the globe. But you know what they are? They are lies from the devil that are aimed at trying to get you down on yourself so that you will never experience what God has and God's best for your life. Those thoughts try to get you to feel you're just not good enough. So why would God ever want to bless me, somebody may ask. I want to tell you something this morning. The Lord does not have one child who's not good enough to receive His love. Not one. There are a lot of people who never enjoy victories in their lives because they have such low self-esteem. Jesus said that we are to love one another even as we love ourselves. Now some of y'all love yourself way too much. But a lot of times people that have low self-esteem and insecurity issues don't love themselves at all. And Jesus said we're to love one another even as we love ourselves. So I'm going to tell you something this morning. If you don't like you, 
then how are you ever going to like somebody else? Low self-esteem is, is a result of a lack of knowledge. I'm absolutely convinced that the reason so many Christians live way below their privileges as children of God is because they don't understand and know who they are in God. They don't even know or understand that they are highly favored of the Lord. Let me tell you, it means something to have God's favor on your life. It means something. So, Pastor, you say I'm special. Now prove it. I definitely will. Let's look at what the Bible has to say about you this morning. Psalms chapter 8. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today. Verses 3 through 5. The psalmist said, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. And in this passage of scripture, the psalmist is overwhelmed at how marvelous and how magnificent God is, and with his ability to create the entire universe. And have you ever just stopped and looked around you at God's creation? Sometime at night when you get a chance, I challenge you to just look up into the sky and admire all the stars and the moon. And then the next day, look up and admire uh, the sun uh, and look at the ocean and how that it knows just where to stop. And stop and think about how God created all of those things simply by just speaking the word. Have you ever thought about that? How magnificent, how awesome God is. The psalmist here is saying, Lord, you are so magnificent and so creative. Why would you have anything to do with man? Who is man that you are mindful of him? Why did you create man? God is trying to get it through our heads in this passage of Scripture that we are his prized possession. In fact, in the mind of God, you are more valuable than the stars. You are more valuable than the moon. You are more valuable than the heavens and the ocean and the sun and all of God's handiwork. When you came out of your mother's womb, Jesus Christ looked from above and thinks, Man, that's my prized possession right there. That's the way God feels about you. Have you ever stopped to think that you are the only thing in creation that God actually used his hands to form? Everything else he spoke into existence, but when it came to man, he wanted to make him and mold him. I would to God that somehow in the church today, we could get it through the minds of our young people to realize and to recognize how valuable you really are to God. Don't worry about what society Society says about you. Don't worry about what this culture says about you, but worry about what God's word says about who He's called you to be. Paul turns around and says the same thing as the psalmist in Hebrews chapter 2. He says, But one testified in a certain place, saying, Who is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him, there it is again, with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But we do not yet see all things put under him. You know, sometimes we have been told in church that we are just sinners. Because the word of God says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, I'll be the first to tell you this morning, that is absolutely 100% true. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We would all do good to recognize that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But 
That's the exact reason that Jesus Christ came. He came because everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But thank God he didn't leave us that way. He sent Jesus Christ down to this earth to redeem us and from the curse of the law. And because, is anybody thankful this morning that the blood of Jesus works? Can I get a witness? The blood of Jesus works. And because the blood of Jesus works, we're not just old sinners anymore. We have been redeemed from that sin. And he has now crowned us with glory and honor. Not with the filthy stains of our sins, but with glory and honor. That's who we are. Now I'm about to preach for just a minute. That's why it's important that when you get saved, you recognize that you have been redeemed from your sin. And you don't just go running back to your sin. Will somebody help me preach this morning? You are a new creation, which I'll get to in just a minute, in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. You don't do the same things you used to do because thanks be to God you've been redeemed from that sin, washed in the blood of Jesus and set free. So don't willfully go back to it. Nothing that you did in your past could ever be so terrible that God wouldn't forgive you. Isn't that good? You're washed by the blood of Jesus and made a new creation in Christ Jesus and you're crowned with glory and honor. Listen. You are of a royal family. The blood of Jesus Christ flows through your veins. You have a crown on your head that cannot be seen with the naked eye, but it is there nonetheless. And it's a crown, the word says, of glory and honor. And you need to walk in it. You are chosen and you are royal. And the church needs to begin acting like we know it. You know, I'll never, I, of course I followed the events of this past Monday, and I'll never inherit, the. you won't either, we'll never inherit the privilege to reside in Buckingham Palace or Windsor Castle. But when you stop and think about it, as fascinating as that earthly kingdom is, it doesn't even compare to the kingdom that I'm a part of. It doesn't even compare to the kingdom that you're a part of. Those earthly palaces and castles don't even compare to the mansions we're going to have in glory. Even, did you know, and this is all I'll say about her and I'll move on. But even the late Queen Elizabeth, did you know that she recognized that and she understood that? A tribute book was written and released for her 90th birthday. You know what it was titled? It was titled, The Servant Queen and the King That She Serves. It was a book about her faith. John chapter 12 and verse 26 says this. If anyone serves me. If anyone serves me. Now, if you're serving in the church, I just want to pause right there and say, if you're serving anybody else besides Jesus, you're serving the wrong person. Sure, we have people that are appointed over ministries, that have the authority over those particular ministries, but you are serving God. If you're serving for any other reason than the simple fact that you love Jesus and want to serve him, then you're serving for the wrong reason. Jesus said, if any man serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, watch this, him my father will honor. I want to ask you this morning, are you serving the Lord? Because if you're not, you can be before you leave this service today. The Bible says, if you serve the Lord, He will honor you. 
And I began to look up what the word honor actually meant, all the different definitions. And one of the many definitions in Webster's Dictionary says honor means this, if it's referring to a person. A person of superior standing, used especially as a title for a holder of high office. When we follow the Lord and serve the Lord, we have a superior standing with Him. In other words, we are His prized possession, every single one of us. And thank God, anybody glad He loves us all the same. He loves us all the same. Now, let me just say this, just to keep some of you fanatics out there balanced. We can't become so high-minded and prideful once we get this information inside our heads. And we can't get the attitude that we are somebody because of what we did or because of who we are. That's one of the number one things that turns sinners off. That has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm preaching about because without Jesus, every single one of us is nothing without Jesus. So we can't get the attitude that we're somebody special. There's nothing that we can do to earn this honor. Jesus earned it for us. And when we begin to see ourselves crowned with glory and honor as God sees us, then we can expect the adversities that we face in this life to be turned around into victory. How many believe we serve a turnaround God? I believe that. We serve a turnaround God. The next thing, not only are we crowned with glory and honor, but we're the object of God's affection. Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise up against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and the righteousness is from me, says the Lord. The, the Lord was telling Isaiah in this passage of Scripture, you are the object of my affection. I could point you to scores of other scriptures that tell us the same thing. But what the Lord is saying in all of them is, I love you so much that nothing that comes against you will hurt you. There's no tactic of the enemy that comes against you that can hurt you. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39 says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, not what's going on right now, what you're going through, or what you've been through, or what you're going through tomorrow, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I know I just read that last week but it bears repeating. This scripture says it all about being the object of God's affection. When you become so persuaded of just how loved you are by God and just how valuable you are in the sight of God, then you can say what Paul said, there's nothing that could ever separate me from the love of Christ. You're the object of God's affection. You're somebody special. So listen to me, folks. Listen to me. Somebody needs to hear me say this this morning. It's time that you stop running yourself down. Stop talking about what a failure you are or a failure you've been. Stop talking about how unworthy you are all the time. Stop telling yourself that you're ugly. Or, when it's spiritually speaking, that you're just a filthy, rotten sinner. Stop it. You are the handiwork of God. You are loved and you are highly favored of the Lord. If you say those things about yourself, the enemy will surely beat you flat on your face. But when you stand on who you are in God, the authority in God's word will take power over him every single time. You can expect greater victories in your life just because you know who you are in God. God will turn it around. If God's on your side, listen, there's no tactic of the enemy. That can never defeat you. So we're crowned with glory and honor. We're the object of God's affection. And as we continue talking about who we are, I want to remind you of something. We are a new creation. 
I said we are a new creation. Most of us have heard this statement before. It's very common that we state it in our religious circles. But I want to remind us this morning that as soon as we accept Jesus Christ into our lives, that we become a new creation. Even if you've been born again for 50 years, you are not an old man or an old woman any longer. You are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Listen, understanding this one truth is a necessity. Because once you come to Jesus, and once you make him Lord of your life, then you become a new creation. Your past is forgiven. Follow me this morning. The literal Greek tells us that you are, watch this, a new species of being that never existed before. That's where we get our peculiarity. We are a new species that never existed before. Now I'm about to preach here for just a minute. I did it at 845 and it wasn't in my notes, so in order to be fair, I'm going to give it to you. I tried to avoid it. I didn't put it in my notes. And then I got here, and the Lord had me do it anyway. So, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. If your life testifies of anything other than Jesus Christ, then you are sending mixed signals to a lost and dying world. Let me say that again. I'll get some help when I say that, then I'll lose you here in just a minute. If your life testifies of anything, other than Jesus Christ, then you are sending mixed signals to a world that is lost and dying and on their way to hell. See, we live in a society that tries to tell us everything's okay. We want to do anything we want to, and as long as we go to church and name the name of God, we're okay. I see some head nod, heads nodding. i got a few of you in the room. Everything's okay. But let me say it again. If I don't care if you go to church or not. If your lifestyle testifies of anything besides Jesus, then you are sending mixed signals to a lost and a dying world. And you would do us all some good if you'd either get in the boat or get out of the boat. Because there's too many people, there's too many preachers in pulpits that are scared and afraid to preach the uncompromising Word of God because somebody will get mad and somebody will get offended and somebody will leave. Well, guess what? I'm not one of them. I'm not. So here I go. I tried not to say it at 8.45. I promise you I did. But then I said it. So it just wouldn't be fair if I didn't give it to you too. A lost and dying world don't need to see you sipping it up at the local bar. Mm-hmm. Somebody says, oh, now, oh, I can't. You all don't know. When you pastor for a while, you can start to feel. I felt the darts as they hit me. Oh, he's going to meddle now. Here we go. I mean, I felt it coming from every direction. That's okay. I did it once. I'll do it again. Just get it over with. I just want to ask you a question. I'm not going to tell you that this word tells you that a drink will send you to hell because I can't find that in there. But what I just told you was if your life testifies of anything other than Jesus Christ, you're sending mixed signals to a lost and dying world. So if you do that, or you did that, once you get saved, you don't have to go back to that. Why is it? Here's my question. Why is it that we feel the need to do it anyway? Here we go. Okay, I just, you know what, I'm just stressed out. It just helps me relax. I like to wind down after work. 
uh, it just helps me clear my mind and helps me get things off my mind. It just makes me feel comfortable and relaxed and yada, 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 so on and so forth. I hear all those things. I don't take it too far, just a, just a little bit, you know, just enough to make you feel good and I enjoy it. And Listen to me. If you can't turn to Jesus Christ for those things, I would question whether or not you really know him. I hope the congregation Mike picked up the golf clap because y'all wasn't real excited about that one. I'm going to say that again. If you can't look to Jesus Christ for those things, then I would question whether or not you really know Him. You need to wind down after work, sit down on the couch, watch a little Andy Griffith and drink a Pepsi Cola. Can I get a witness? A little bit stressed out. You need, to, you need to just clear your mind, open up the Word of God, and begin to read the Word of God. Troubled about some things and just stressed out to the max? Go get in your prayer closet. Talk it over with the one who's in charge of this whole universe, who can turn things around. I'm not going to tell you that one drink's going to send you to hell, but it's about time that somebody in the church stands up and says, my God, when we got a church full of people, I'm not saying it happens here, but it will. If I don't preach it, it probably does more than I know or want to know, so please don't tell me if you know. But anyway, somebody needs to stand up and say, we're not supposed to look like the world. We're not supposed to act like the world. We're not supposed to turn to the things of the world. We serve a God that can do all things. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3 verse 13 and 14. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are in my past and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the mark of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If you could see this passage of scripture in the original text, you'd see some words in italics. And anytime you see that, that means it's been added by translators to help us understand, understand it a little better. But if we take out those italics, we truly understand what Paul was trying to say. Because the Apostle Paul is one of the best examples I can ever imagine of being a new creation. You talk about Saul on the road to Damascus. And he was a persecutor. He was the chiefest of sinners, a persecutor of the gospel. But when he encountered Jesus on the Damascus road, his life was completely changed. He was so turned around and such a new creation that even his name was changed. That's when he went from Saul to Paul. He experienced that new creation. And Paul was saying here, if I can grasp anything out there, I've understood one principle. And that is forgetting those things which are behind me. Paul had to forget those things. If you're a new creation in Christ, forget about those things you used to turn to for help and begin turning to Jesus. If you're a new creation in Christ, forget about that lifestyle you used to live and learn how to live for Jesus. If you're a new creation in Christ, forget about what this society and what culture says is okay and turn to the Word of God and see what God has to say about it. That's when we know we're a new creation in Christ. Our old life has been done away with and now our new life is sprung forth. But if you've lived in, in that situation, don't focus on your past. Because listen, once it's forgiven, it's forgiven. And if you keep looking behind you, you'll never be able to see what God has right in front of you. Sometimes in real estate, people purchase an old dilapidated house, not for the building. But they purchase it for the site. Sometimes the structure is beyond repair. 
and the investor doesn't want to repair the house, they'd rather have it torn down and construct a brand new one in its place because that would make it much more valuable. Listen, I want to tell you this morning or this afternoon now, compared with the renovation that God has in mind on us, our efforts, our efforts to improve our own lives are as trivial as trying to remodel a house that's ready for a bulldozer. When we become gods, our old life is over and a brand new life begins. He makes all things new. And that leads me to my last point. And I'll try to hurry through it. They can go ahead and come to the music. We are his masterpiece. We are a work in progress. Ephesians 2 and 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk with him. What a statement. The creator of the universe declared us to be his masterpiece. You know, I thought about Pastor Mitchell Toll. Because that was here for our ninth anniversary. When a, he's an artist. And when an artist begins to paint, they don't just start slapping paint on a canvas. They plan. They plan it out. And what's the background supposed to look like? What's going to be the focal point of the masterpiece? What details are going to be in the painting? They don't just haphazardly do this. It's all strategic. Because a masterpiece is painted by an artist who is an expert. They are a highly skilled visionary that knows exactly what they want out of that painting. I want to tell you this morning, you, you, you are a masterpiece. You were born into the good life that God planned for you a long time ago. God has great plans in store for you. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 18. For you form my inward parts. You cover me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written. The days you fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts toward me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. This scripture explains very well the thoughts that God has concerning us. We are the object of God's affection, but we're also His masterpiece. We're the only thing, as I said earlier, that God used His hands to create. You know why? Because we're special to Him. You are special to Him. We're a painting that He has already painted, but He hasn't painted yet. Some of y'all are like, wait, what? I didn't say it wrong, I said it right. We are a painting that He's already painted, but He hasn't painted it yet. Now the young people I know won't remember this, but those of you in the room that are like me and you remember the old paint-by-number kits. How many remember those? Let me see your hands. Yeah, you old like me. Well, I see some younger people raising their hands. Maybe they still have those. But anyway, paint by number kids. What's on the, what was always on the lid of that box? The picture of what the end masterpiece is supposed to look like. Or the end picture is supposed to look like. You know, when I was a little boy, first of all, let me say this. As an adult, it was never my desire to be a preacher I never wanted that because inevitably if you're a preacher you will at some point say something that offends somebody and if you don't ever offend anybody you may not be a preacher amen but I never wanted to be a preacher I wanted to sing I love music that's what we did for a long time but they tell me when I was little and I have a, just a barely a little remembrance of this a time or two but they tell me when I was really little like two and three years old 
Now, I'm going to throw it way back for just a minute. How many, like me, grew up with Granny had a family Bible on the coffee table that was open in the center of the coffee table? How many people remember that? Yeah. That was the main decoration piece on the coffee table was a family Bible open. They tell me that I was, when I was two and three years old, that I used to grab a hairbrush and I'd stand behind that coffee table with that open Bible and I'd just preach up a storm. And so as a child, God was painting a masterpiece of my life that was not yet painted. Are you with me this morning? God planned it out. I truly believe and I know that I'm walking in God's divine and perfect will for my life. It wasn't something I chose. It was something He chose. But I can tell you this. Walking in God's perfect will, you'll begin to see a beautiful picture unfold. Your life is a painting that He's already painted that's not been painted yet. You know why? Because He gives you tools. He gives you the brush. He gives you all the colors. And then He gives you the instructions in the Word of God. And all the things that you'll ever need to accomplish what He set before you. He knows the end before the beginning. God wants you to take that brush and begin to paint the masterpiece that He wants to use your life to paint. He created the painting, but He's given you the brush. And you're the one that has to decide, what am I going to do with my life? <clears throat> Some of us decide to go with God's plan and others try things out our own way. And every time we do, I don't know about you, but every time I try it my way, I mess things up. We mess up our painting with disobedience foolishness pride, pride's a big one we mess up our painting with pride all the time, doing things our own way we can mess up the painting or the life that God has given us or we can take the brush we can follow God's instructions and watch him paint a beautiful masterpiece with our life, if you will stand with me all over the room today the choice is up to you you are a masterpiece. You're still in the process of being completed. And guess what? When I was in church as a kid, we used to sing a song that said, He's still working on me. Anybody remember that? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. Oh, how loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. Can I tell you this morning, he's still working on your pastor. He's still working on you. We're all still in the process of being completed. And that process will go on until we move from this life into the next. But while that process is going on, what are you doing with the brush that God has given you? Now, I want to pause just a moment and say before I open this altar, if you've never accepted Jesus before, today's your day. If you've never received Jesus before, today is your day. There's a room full of people here today that will testify with me that Jesus Christ will be the best decision you will ever make in your life.
So whatever you do, don't leave here today without him. When we open this altar, come and accept Jesus today. But for those of you that have already accepted Jesus, you've already received him into your life, this invitation is most definitely for you. So I'm going to do it like I did it at 845. You have been crowned with glory and honor. You are the object of God's affection. You are a new creation in Christ and you are his masterpiece. I want to know right now. I'm not waiting to bow heads. I'm not waiting until they sing. I want to know how many people in this room today and I want as many that will to join me. How many people in this room today will say, Pastor, I want to take my life and I want to take the brush that God's given me and I want to watch him do what he wants to do with me. I want to be used for